It's the People Make Things podcast, where we talk about the life behind the scenes and in the trenches of the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsume, better known on the internet as Nine Squirrels. Okay, so it's time for the second episode, and uh, some of you may have noticed that uh, last week I didn't actually do a podcast, and I promised to do a podcast every week, and I can't imagine anything more shameful than you know, promising to do something every week and literally the second week not doing it. The reason I wasn't here last week is I was traveling. I was going to Berlin for a game conference. Those of you who know me know that I actually run a game company for a living and part of my job in running that game company is to go to these uh, large industry conventions and at these conventions we meet with distributors and advertisers and marketing companies and that sort of thing and we work on uh, how to build better games and also how to sell the games that we're working on. It's an interesting thing, and I, I want to. I'll get back to that. And in fact, uh, today's interview will be with Jessica Tams, who is the managing director and organizer, founder of that particular conference. And so we'll talk all about game conferences with her in a little bit. So I, I didn't want to get too game conferency in the sort of monologue section of the podcast today, and instead I wanted to talk a little bit about the city of Berlin. But before I do that, I, I got to get something off my chest. And and the thing I got to get off my chest, it's, uh, you know, I had the plane story in the last podcast and I talked about uh, dude man with his porn on the plane and that was cool and all. So I, I thought I would, I would regale you with another plane story today. This actually happened on the way from Berlin to Istanbul on the way home. So I'm skipping all of everything, getting right to the coming home part. And it was a very interesting, you, you know, when you get in a plane, there are certain rules. There's, there's. If you're a civilized person, not some goddamn barbarian, you know how to behave on a plane. And one of the rules, and we all know this, we all agree with this, is, look, if you're on the window side of the airplane, you get the window armrest, and you get the window. You, know, you get to lean up against the window, and that's cool. If you're on the aisle side of the seats, then you get the aisle armrest, and you get the joy of getting to get up and pee whenever you want to without having to make the person next to you like put all their crap away. Now, if you're stuck in the middle seat, you get both of the armrests because you're in the shitty seat and everybody feels bad for you. And, and largely, the world understands this. We get this. We've sort of moved on, right? So that's not really up to debate. You know, if you get in and you sit down on the window seat and you take up both armrests, look, you're wrong. There's no debate about this anymore. God damn it. Fuck you, right? But... There is still a subject of plane travel that somehow remains open to debate. And that that is the, do I get to recline or do I not get to recline? And, and what's fascinating is you will find not one, not two, but you know, thousands of articles online about whether you should recline or you shouldn't recline. And... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just sort of solve this for you. And, and, and I'm gonna, this is the definitive Fuck you. You get to recline. That's the deal, right? You paid for the seat. The seat's got a button. The button means that you can put the seat back. I paid for that button and I'm going to put my seat back. And that's how it plays, right? And and I know, I know right now that there's a bunch of you out there that just suddenly got all butt hurt and you're like, but Chris, you don't understand the person behind you. Maybe, what if the person behind you is trying to work? What if the person behind you has a computer? Huh? What about his needs? Well, yeah, fuck that dude, right? Because let, let me be blunt. A, how is it that we live in a world now where every single minute of our life has to be taken up with work? And how is it that your work is more important than my rest, right? You're like, well, I'm trying to work. Well, fuck you, dude. I'm trying to sleep, 
right? And how how is it that your work is more important than my sleep? And, and let's be honest with ourselves. In the entirety, like the entire history of, of, of plane travel, nobody has ever gotten any real work done on a plane. It is physically impossible. Maybe you opened up your laptop and you, you know, screwed around with an Excel sheet for a couple minutes. Maybe you answered a couple trivial emails that you could have done way easier in your office in like the 20 seconds that you actually did it. But largely, you're just pissing the people around you off. And and while we're on the topic of people who bust out their big-ass laptops and start working on the plane, and, and you know this person, you've, always, you've sat next to this person, and for some reason, they're always in the middle seat, and they're always like, it's always like some... It, it's one of two people, right? It's 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 either that that woman in a little power suit, you know, and she's got the little, you know, she's got the little fancy leather bag that she's got, you know, exactly set up for her little laptop and everything, and she takes a good solid 15 minutes to, you know, get out her laptop and get out her papers and get out her little mouse and get everything all set up. And and of course you're in the window seat, and of course after she gets all fucking set up with all of her bullshit, you got to piss and you're like, "Oh man, I don't want to like make her move all her shit cuz I got to go piss." And you're like, "Okay, I'll hold it. I'll hold it." And finally when you can't hold it anymore and you're about to pee in your own pants you're like excuse me and then she turns and she gives you that look like well i guess if you have to get up and then you know sort of sullenly puts all of her shit away and then you have to climb over her again and then you know you get back and she's like waiting for you and you're in the bathroom and you're like oh i gotta pee really fast because this lady's waiting on me so she can spread all of her shit out again yeah yeah fuck that lady Right. I and, and, and if it's not her, if it's not her, it's that douchebag. He's got, you know, he's got the the little pleated pants, you know, the little pleated khaki pants. And he's got the little Oxford shirt or maybe he's got like the the logo polo shirt that his company gave him. You know, he's got the little the leather shoes that are designed to slip off and go through security easily. And he's and it's the exact same story. It's the exact same stupid little leather briefcase. It's the exact patronizing, don't you understand that I was doing some work here? That thing when you want to get up and, 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 and you know, the whole time he's working, you know, his elbows are straight in your gut because he's got his hands out so he can type. That guy, we don't talk about that guy being an asshole. Now, the person who's trying to lean back in his seat and relax and get some sleep on this stupid flight, yeah, he's a dick, but the, 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 the person whose bullshit little paper pushing job is more important than you actually getting some rest, that guy's not a dick. Yeah, fuck that. So, we know all this, right? So, I get on my plane. Time to go from Berlin down to Istanbul. And I sit down in my seat. And, you know, after the the plane takes off and, you know, I got my MP3 player in. Time to to listen to, I think I had a Joe Rogan album in. I'm listening to some comedy. And uh, I lean back my seat. And immediately after leaning back my seat, bam! It's, It's like something bangs into the back of my seat and pushes it back up again. And I was like, whoa, what the hell? And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I, maybe I leaned my seat back while the guy was like leaning down, and I trapped him or something, or uh, maybe somebody was getting in their seat or something like that. I, I don't know. As I, t- I, you know, quietly, you know, and this time a little more slowly, lean my seat back again, lean it back fully, and then bam, again, seat gets pushed forward. At this time, I'm pissed because obviously this dude is actually, literally, physically grabbing the back of my seat and jamming it back forward again, right? And, and well, I don't play that, right? So I, I whip around and I just look at the guy behind me, right? And it's some, it's got about my age, a bearded dude. And he, he looks back at me and I look at him and I, I want to, I want to tell him off, right? I want to tell him off, but I, 
I can't. And and the reason you can is 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 there's these these sort of new rules of society that exist on planes where if you, you know, get uppity then they have to turn the plane around and land it in Cuba and everybody's got to get off the plane and you show up in the newspaper and you know all that other shit. So I don't, I don't want to get involved in that. So I just stare at him. Cuz I can't, you can't get me in trouble for staring at a dude, right? So I look him right in his eyes, right? And I I stare at him like a good solid 30, 45 seconds, right? And he kind of slinks down in his chair, kind of looks away. I don't give a shit. I stare right in his eyes. And then, you know, 30, 45 seconds doesn't seem like a long time, but uh, stare at like a creepy, angry Turkish dude for 30, 45 seconds and, and see how uncomfortable that is for everyone involved. And so after I had just like, you know, looked at him as hard as I could, as angrily as I could, you know, the, the serious, you know, nine squirrels glare, um, I turn back around, I lean my seat back again. Nothing happens, right? I think now I, I feel pretty good about myself. Maybe I've, maybe I've cowed this guy. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe I've sorted this out. But about two or three minutes later, I feel this tutump on the back of my chair, and I'm mm, that's kind of odd. And now it's tutun, and I I think oh maybe it's some turbulence or something like that. You know, it's just kind of a bangy sort of maybe where you know sometimes you hit some weird air or something like that. But it keeps on going, and it gets harder and harder. And I open my eyes, you know, and uh, I look around because I want to see, you know, is everyone else being affected by this? And nobody else is moving. Nobody else's seat's moving. And I realize what's going on is the guy behind me, a grown adult, right? Let's be clear on this. This isn't like a kid or a teenager. A grown fucking adult is actually sitting there. There's the, there's the little panel on the back of the the, the seat where you you know, you you can watch movies and stuff and it's a touch screen and he's going bam 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 with his finger on the touch screen as he's going through all this stuff and i think to myself fucking asshole right but i all right you know what i don't want to be the guy that gets led off the plane in a pair of plastic handcuffs because i started the fight on a plane so i'm just going to i'm just going to swallow my my pride and, and and deal with it for a couple minutes and maybe when he selected his goddamn movie it won't be like this anymore and it does after a couple minutes it gets stops it's not like that anymore and i'm like all right fine he's he's figured out which you know crappy movie he wants to watch and now at least for the next hour and a half to 2 hours i won't have to deal with that bullshit after a couple minutes Done. Rhythmic little bum, 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 bum. Keeps on going just like this. And I think, what the fuck, dude? And I, again, I'm about ready to get up and turn around and just fucking smack him. But I'm, I can't, right? Because, uh, you know, I, I go to jail, right? So, bum, 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 bum. Dealing with this, right? And I, finally, I can't take it anymore. I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm, 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 I, all right, whatever. And I, I, I decide I'm going to get up, right? I decide I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom. And and, and and this is for two reasons. One, because if I have to deal with this guy banging on the back of my chair for another five minutes, I swear to God, I'm going to get in a fight and I don't care how many German police pull me off the plane. But the other reason is I need to take a poop. And I don't know about you, but for me, one of the happiest moments in my entire life is taking a poop on a plane. Now, I know some people are like, oh my God, I can't believe those bathrooms. No, 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 no. You guys don't understand what life is about, right? We have entered a world after millions of years of evolution, after we are, after, you know, after crawling out of the primordial soup of the sea, we have actually entered a period in our evolution where we can poop a mile in the sky over other people's houses. 
I'm literally, um, uh, uh, you know, a couple kilometers in the air over some Bulgarian dude's farm and I'm pooping. I don't know how the world doesn't think that's the most amazing thing in the world. So anyway, I, I personally make a point of, of saving it up. You know, I make, I make sure when I, I get on a flight that I got, I got a little extra saved in there, you know, because I, I'm, I want to, I want to have that moment. So I, I go back to uh, calm myself from the, the thumping chair and, and I have my, my quiet moment alone, uh, in, in the sky. And, and, you know, I, I come back in a substantially better mood, right? You know, things, things have improved for me. And I look and I see that what this guy has done is he's got his knee jammed up against the back of my chair and he's listening to some, uh, what looks like a Turkish video on the back of the screen. And he's, he's rhythmically, you know, going in time with the music. That's the bump, bump, bump I'm seeing. Bump, 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 bump. As he's listening to, I, I can only assume some uh, variety of uh, Turkish EDM music is what it looks like on the screen. And I walk over and, 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 and Again, I'm highly cognizant of the fact that we have created a world in which passive aggressive behavior has to be tolerated because standing up for yourself is now like a punishable offense in the sky, right? If if this had happened in the 1980s on the ground, somebody would have gotten punched in the face by now, right? It might have been me, but at least some punching would have gone on. But up in the sky, in the 2000 and teens, whatever the hell we're in now, even raising your voice is a, you know, that that's that's the sort of thing that shows up on the news in the next day is, you know, oh, flight diverted to, you know, and so I can't, I can't do that, right? So I just walk over and I squat down next to him. I look him right in the eyes again and I hold up my hand and I say, you must stop this. And he looks at me very confused and takes off his headphones and I say again in a very quiet tone of voice, but loud enough that you can hear me over the whine of the plane engines. I need you to stop this. And he starts going off at me in sort of broken English, Turkish. I hold up my hand and I say, no, you need to stop this right now. And I stare him in the eyes again. Uncomfortable long stare and now there's you know there's at least three or four rows of people around me that are that are that are witnesses to what's going on right and they're they're a little bit wigged out right oh my god is some shit gonna go down on the plane and uh the guy and i look at him again and i say sir you need to stop this and 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 this is the thing sir has taken on a new meaning sir back in the day meant you know gentleman or you know person i have sir in this day and age means you fucking asshole. That's what sir means now, right? I could have easily replaced the sir in sir, you must stop this with you fucking piece of shit. You must stop this, right? It would have had exactly the same effect as the sir. Sir now is the most, the best passive aggressive insult. When you say sir in the modern world, people know what you mean when you say sir. You mean motherfucker, you stop that shit right now. And, uh, I got back in my chair and I didn't get any more shit for the rest of the flight. And I landed and I got my bag out of my overhead compartment and I gave the young man behind me one last glare and uh, went off into the Istanbul airport. So that was my little plane story. I know people like travel stories. That's my travel story. Um, 
Luckily, it didn't, you know, proceed into violence or anything like that. But anyway, I I wanted to get that off my chest. So for for those of you who uh, those of you who disagree with me and think, oh no, Chris, uh, only only animals lean back in chairs. Let me quietly suggest to you: you really need to reconsider your life because, come on, it's a uh, get your rest. Anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about Berlin. And before I get too much into Berlin, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk a little bit about immigration because I had a very interesting experience. You know, when, when you visit somebody's house, you know, in the first couple minutes, whether or not this is going to be a good trip to their house, right? And you're like, somebody invites you to their house in the first couple minutes. Somebody's like, Hey man, come on in, have a beer, sit on the couch. And you're like, Oh, this is going to be all right. Or there's, you know, other people you walk in and you kind of, Oh, yeah, this is going to suck. Like, you know, so you know in the first couple minutes of, of being in somebody's house whether or not the next couple hours are going to be long and painful or whether you're going to enjoy this. That's a fact. And I feel like for countries, it's the same thing. The airport is like the the, the foyer. It's the meeting room. It's, it's the place where you enter into a country. And your view of a country is going to be highly tempered by your experience in the airport. And some countries present themselves extremely well. Hong Kong, Singapore, when you walk into either one of those airports, you think to yourself, well, this is going to be all right. This country seems to have its shit together. And you walk out of the airport, and in, 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 in Hong Kong, you walk out of the, the airport train that delivers you downtown in like 20 minutes in speedy, wonderful comfort. And you think, you, you just walk out into downtown Hong Kong thinking, this is going to be a good trip. Hong Kong has put you in a state of mind that gets you ready for a successful, happy trip to Hong Kong. Singapore does much the same thing. Berlin does not. And one of the things that I thought was really fascinating when I when I landed in Berlin, aside from the airport being kind of a dingy old dirty shithole, was the immigration there. The way they do immigration there, usually, you know, everybody gets off the airport and they kind of funnel you into a big immigration room and they've got a bunch of people. They don't do this in Berlin. In Berlin, they've actually got like a little kiosk right at the end of the jetway. So the line to get through immigration literally starts inside the plane. And you are standing inside the plane or on the jetway, which is an uncomfortable kind of weird situation to begin with. But you, you do that as you wait to get through the, the little immigration kiosk. And, and it takes forever. It took a really, really long time. It took so long that I actually got out of line, walked back into the plane, and sat in my seat in the plane and read a book for a little bit. Because I'm like, I'm not going to stand up forever if this is how this plays out. So that's that's already kind of shitty. But what really was shitty about it was... As I finally got up the line, I realized the reason that the line was taking so long is there were actually two kiosks. And one of the kiosks, now keep in mind, I was on a plane that was arriving from Istanbul. And a plane arriving from Istanbul basically has two varieties of human being in it, returning German passengers and a whole bunch of Turkish dudes. And the line was going to the first kiosk and... Right before the first kiosk, there was a little immigration dude who would point at all of the white people and say, oh, you go over there and send them to the second kiosk. And I noticed at the first kiosk, they were being really, really strict. 
You know, where are you coming from? What are you going to do here? How many days are you here? Do you have paperwork to prove it? Do you have a business card? And every one of these guys, they ended up having to open up their luggage and dig around in their luggage and find some, you know, oh, this is the hotel I'm staying at or this is my invitation letter or some shit like that. Like it was taking these guys a really long time to get through. And let me be very blunt, brown Muslim people, right? And then the white dudes who got sent over to the other line, business or pleasure, stamp, off you go, right? And these guys were just chewing right through the line. And once I got around the corner of the jetway where they could see that I was not a brown Muslim dude, I got pointed at and told to go to the other kiosk. Um, and okay, I do. I walk over. The guy literally doesn't say a single word to me. Looks at my passport, kind of looks at me, makes sure I'm not wearing a hat and uh, stamps it and points. Doesn't even say anything, just grunts and points. And th- there was a point in me that was like, Hey, dude, ask me some questions. Where's where, Why aren't you checking my hotel? Why aren't you asking where I'm coming from? Why aren't you, why, why, why is there no, you know, I could be built out of, out of plastic explosive and cocaine and you wouldn't even know. You haven't asked me a single question. And I, I thought, you know, of course I didn't do any of that. I didn't ask him any of that. I, I quietly went on my way because when you got white privilege, you use it. But I, there was a part of me, a little tiny part of me that really felt like, well, this is fucked up. And it was a, you know, but, you know, and, and, and you, you're already, you're already in the, and, and, and here's the thing that that was racist. I mean, and, and sometimes you're, and part of the problem with racism is you don't always know if racism is racism. Sometimes when racist stuff happens, and this is the hardest part of racism, you always ask yourself like, was that thing that just happened? Was that, was that racist? And, you know, I live in Japan, so I actually experience a reasonable amount of racism. And, and, and usually it's, it's nothing really bad. I mean, it's not of the, you know, get out of the pool kind of racism. It's, it's much more like a, you know, oh, wow, you know how to use chopsticks? That's impressive. Dude, I've lived here 10 years. What do you think? I don't know how to eat. You know, like it's that kind of sort of just constant irritation racism. And, and it's always, there's always that little part of you that's like, did that thing that just happened, was that racist or was that guy trying to be polite? You know, when that, when that person complimented me on, on the fact that I could speak very, very basic Japanese, were they, were they actually trying to be nice and they're just kind of dumb and don't realize that, or, or was that racist? Like, like there's always that little, you know, hey, I noticed my kid didn't get picked for this thing. Was that because they just didn't pick my kid or is that because my kid's half white? You don't, like, there's that bit of, and, and this is, I, I get where, like, People in America who, you know, they say like, oh, black people are always talking racism. I, I can understand it. I can understand why why black people would always kind of wonder if what's going on is racism because there's always that question. But here, there was no fucking question about it, right? Dude, there was a brown line and a white line and it couldn't have been any more clearer than if they had like marked a drinking fountain, you know, whites only. I mean, it was, it was as clear as day that that if you were a brown Muslim dude, you were going to get hassled. And if you were a white dude, you were going to go straight through the line. And it, it, it did leave a bad taste in my mouth. And I, I don't know if I want to blame Berlin for that or blame Germany or blame Europe or blame the modern world or what. But yeah, that, that was kind of lame. So, so yeah, I already walk into Berlin and I'm already kind of like, yeah, kind of fuck this place. And I get in a cab and then, you know, it's a German cab, which means it's like a Mercedes or something. It's a nice, you know, leather seat, which you always love to get in a cab in Germany. And we drive into the city and... Oh my God, what an ugly town. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't want to be terrible, but I mean, and, and I, I, I get it, right? Berlin was, you know, bombed basically flat and had to be rebuilt and large parts of it were rebuilt under a brutal, you know, Soviet regime. It's got some excuses for why it's ugly, but let's be honest with ourselves. Berlin is a very ugly city and it, and it's all this sort of Stalin-esque, 
East European, you know, very square, brutal architecture, lots of steel and concrete, big wide roads that are wider than they need to be. It's just, you know, I felt when I was there, like I felt less like I was in Munich or or uh, Köln or or Dusseldorf, and more like I was in Kiev. And it it did. It had that sort of brutal East European Soviet feel to it, which I I, I can't say I'm a big fan of. But you know, all right, I'm forgiving of that. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna brush that aside and say, you know, all right, I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to see Berlin for what it is. And and here's the thing. Once I kind of got into Berlin and started meeting some people and got involved in the city, there was lots to love there. Um, it's it's uh, the, the the public transit is very good there. It was very easy to get around. The people in Berlin, almost everybody I met who was from Berlin, was very friendly, very open, very nice. And you know, I went to a couple of these bars. One thing that Berlin really has going for it is it has some wonderful bars. Uh, I, I guess the thing to do there is to go to cocktail bars, and we went to a few of these really nice cocktail bars, and they have these kind of funky bars where you have to like knock on the door to get in, and then the guy comes, and it, it's kind of fun. But and and they serve good drinks, and every time we went anywhere, we were treated very well, and it gave me this thing where I felt kind of guilty about not liking the city. I wanted to like the city. You know, I wanted, you know, the, and, and, and when you really look at a city, what's really important about a city is the people. And all the people I met were really nice. And I really wanted to like their city. And I just couldn't make myself do it. And I'm going to stop there for a minute because I want to talk about something else. And then I want to come back to this. Um, and the thing I want to talk to is museums. And I know that's I know that's a really big shift, but for for me, I've got this thing that I do. I like to spend time in museums. Whenever I go to a new city, I always go, you know, check out the museums, whether I'm in Paris or or Seoul or whatnot. And Berlin is famous for having great museums. The Pergamon is there. There's uh there's all kinds of of you know the National Gallery is there. Uh, there's the whole museum island. And so I had a couple extra days in Berlin, and I went and I spent uh, two days doing museum days. Which when you know it's when you're alone in a city, and especially when it's brutal cold like it was in Berlin, uh, museum day is always a lot of fun. So I went, I went to go have my museum days, and I was at the and I, I apologize for my terrible German, which I still don't know how to speak. Uh, the Craft Museum, which I believe is called the Kunstgewerbe Museum, um, but in any case, it's the Craft Museum. And I'm, it was very interesting at first, you know. And I was I was looking at it, and it was it, you know it's all about the art of crafted goods, uh, furniture, fashion, plates, cups, that sort of thing. And somewhere about halfway through the museum, I just sat down on one of the, one of the couches and realized that I, I didn't like anything I was seeing. And I wondered like, why, why do I, what, what's, what's wrong here? Why do I not like this? What's wrong with this? And what I realized was everything here was being shown incorrectly. I was I, at the time I was I was specifically looking at a hairbrush and it was this beautiful ivy hairbrush but it was clear that this beautiful ivory hairbrush was part of some kind of set and it had been taken out of its set and it had been put on this little white plinth all by itself where you could sort of look at it completely devoid of any context and I thought well this is not how this hairbrush was meant to have been seen this hairbrush is supposed to be you know in a hairbrush set and probably inside of a container probably on some sort of rococo uh, you know, dresser with a mirror, and it's it's supposed to be in a room full of all these sort of rococo details. And I thought, 
how does this make sense? How does, you know, and I, I started looking around. I got up, I started looking around the museum some more, and I started realizing how much everything in there bothered me. There were there were chairs that were part of, of, of sets that were just all by themselves, sitting on a sort of stage underneath lighting that they never would have gotten in, in their world. I mean, most of these were from a world before electric light, and they were under this harsh electric light where you could see it very clearly. And I thought, these these weren't designed to be put under a harsh electric light. They were, they were designed to be put under natural light. They were designed to be set next to a table, and that table was supposed to have, you know, wallpaper and curtains, and, and, and it, it, there was a whole context that this was supposed to be. And I went next door to the, to the gallery where the, all, the, all the actual painted art was, and I'm looking at these big, beautiful portraits, and I'm looking at, you know, art, a lot of religious art, a lot of art that had been taken out of churches. And if you looked at the description, it said very clearly, you know, this is a triptych that was supposed to be put in the nave of, of you know, this one cathedral. And I thought, how does this piece of art make sense here in just this, this white-walled room when it was designed to be put in a massive cathedral, there's supposed to be flying arches around it. There's supposed to be architecture around it. There's supposed to be music that I'm listening to while I look at it. It's it's almost like being told that this, you know, I'm going to show you a beautiful woman and they show you a, a naked dead woman lying on a cold slab and they say, well, look, isn't she beautiful? And you say, well, that's, you know, you've, you've taken it completely out of context. This is not how you're supposed to look at a beautiful woman. And I, I, I know that's kind of a weird metaphor, but hang with me, right? And so I'm, I'm looking at all this, and I'm, I'm realizing none of this. All the museums I go to are pulling things out of context, and without context, I can't really appreciate what I'm looking at. And how much more would I appreciate, instead of seeing this, having been able to go into that church and see this artwork in its you know, natural location within that, within that church? Or had, if I've been able to go into one of these palaces and see you know, the art actually in situ with, 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 with all of the you know, stuff around it, that would have been something where I could actually get to the actual you know, intention of the artist or the craftsman that made it. And... That got me to thinking about the way I look at art in my own studio. And I, I actually am always very hardcore in my studio about not allowing artists to show me art out of context. You know, if they're going to draw me a new character or if they're going to put together an animation or they're going to do a background, I'm always like, well, where does this background grow? Where does this animation go? And, and without seeing it in context, I refuse to give criticism because without context, you can't possibly understand what you're looking at. That silence was intentional because when you think further, everything is like this, right? Everything in the world is so meaningless without context. And when people start talking, and I think this is one of the things that gets me the most upset now when I read social media or when I have conversations with people, and they, they want to tell me, you know, oh, this is true or this is false or this idea is right or this idea is wrong or this thing that this person did was offensive or or something. I always think to myself, well, what was the what was the full context that this is in? What, what did that person mean? Where did that person come from? What was this person's experience that they were speaking to? Without all of this information, it's very difficult for me to judge the actions of another person or the thoughts of another person. This context is critical. Which brings me back to Berlin, and I think about my trip to Berlin, and I, I went to Berlin with a very specific context. I went to go to a game convention. I spent most of my time in a big, cold convention hall talking to people about video games. 
In the evenings, I hung out mostly with people who weren't from Berlin, who were tired and they just wanted some good German food before they went to bed. And the couple days that I was wandering around Berlin after that, I was largely going to museums and tourist attractions by myself. And I was doing this in the you know middle of February in the very, very cold weather where it was very cold outside. And, and I was, you know, oh, it takes so long to walk across this street. And, and the context I was in was not a context that would allow Berlin to shine. And I wonder, had I gone to Berlin to visit a couple of my friends who lived in Berlin, who were locals from Berlin and knew all the wonderful things about Berlin, had I gone in the spring or the summer when it was beautiful, had we gone you know, to the park when it was all green and the trees had leaves, maybe I would be talking to you right now about how wonderful Berlin is and how much I want to go move to Berlin. Maybe that would be the conversation we're having because the context that I entered that city in was so specific my experience uh, was so very specific. And, and that makes you think. So that's the show for today. If you're interested in some of the stuff I talked about, if you're interested in Berlin or Casual Connect, I've actually got an interview with Jessica Thames, who's the managing director of Casual Connect, uh, in the interviews on this podcast. So if you're interested in that, go check that out. Otherwise, we will see you back here on the next People Make Things. <laughs>